we read about the people who surrounded Jesus. Sometimes they have names. Salome, Mary, James, John. Sometimes they are described. The Syrophoenician woman, the blind man by the pool. But by far, the masses of people who surrounded Jesus were nameless, faceless people whose stories never get recorded in a text. You're about to meet one such nameless, faceless one. <laughs> you don't know me. No one really does. I've, I've never been the topic of any papyrus. I've never been a headline. I've never been, well, even an interesting piece of gossip. You don't know me. I'm a nameless, faceless one among many. That I have a story to tell? Well, that's because of the mercy of God of Israel. Nameless one, nameless one. It's what they called me from the very beginning. It's the only name I know. Although once in a while it came out a little more tender. Little one, little one. A carefully measured meter as I rocked to and fro on the chest of my nursemaid. We were slaves, both of us. She was acquired as part of a dowry for her master's daughter. Me? It is by the mercy of the God of Israel that I have a story to even tell you. For I was one of those set out in the night air, exposed to the creatures and the elements, left to die. My nursemaid found me, and she snuck me into the household where she lived, and she begged her master to let me stay with the children. He agreed. Well, she looked at me and said, you know, your nose is far too shy and your skin far too pale. You'll never attract a husband. You will be a worker. So she taught me to work, and I learned well from her all the trades of the household. My master took care of me well until I turned 12 years old. And one day, according to Jewish law, he had to set me free. 12 years old, and one day, he sets me free in Galilee. Now, you tell me, what are the options for a nameless, faceless 12-year-old girl in Galilee? They really aren't speakable in public today. So I returned to my master, and I begged him, please take me in. I'll do anything. I promise I'm good at so many things. I know how to dye the fabric. I know what to do with the crops and the wool. The wool is my specialty. Please, I begged. And he agreed. Again, by the mercy of the God of Israel, he agreed. On three conditions, he said, first of all, you will never dishonor this family. Second, you will always, always work hard. You will never be idle. Third, you will use every ability that God has given you. And so I did. I learned and I worked and I got good at one thing, the wool. And the marketplace became my friend. He took me to the marketplace and as he took me back in, he said, I now take you only as a free woman on these three conditions. Here's the marketplace of Capernaum. You'll earn your keep. So the wool is what I became a specialist with. Now, if you come to my portico in Capernaum, you'll see it's the finest wool in all of the region. There isn't any better in Galilee. Spun and dyed with such care. I sell beads that I acquire from peddlers on the road, and I am not afraid to ask for the proper price. In fact, I shoo away these meager bidders who intend on robbing me. I'm not dumb. I have to survive. 
I shoo them away just like I shoo those children over there away from my goods because here in Capernaum, there's a fine line between survival and destitution. I need every penny I can get. For the money I take in from my beads and my fabric, a very small portion I keep. The rest I give to my tenant farmer who, who supervises my work. He keeps a larger portion, but most of it is passed on to the landowner, and, and from there it goes off to Rome. Now, from what I keep and from what my master keeps, we pay our taxes in Rome, we pay our temple taxes, and we pay our synagogue ta taxes. There is a fine line between survival and destitution. We are peasants. Some people have the misguided notion that peasants wander through the fields all day singing songs and picking flowers, and no, we're peasants. We need to survive. The marketplace of Capernaum, well, you know, mostly I see people wandering through also from other places. There is our synagogue off to this side. Maybe you heard texts read there early this morning. My favorite was read today. I've come with good tidings to bind the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to open prison doors. That's our synagogue. Then now there is much Gentile life in Capernaum, I will confess. The Gentiles find, however, that the God of Israel is rather a, an attractive option compared to the Greek and Egyptian gods. The God of Israel is certain. Some of them convert. More of them don't. Because we're a little challenging in the synagogue. You see, we have the Torah, and we have dietary laws, and we have Sabbath regulations, and then there's this little conversation about circumcision. They call them the God-fearers, those who don't convert all the way. They are fearing something. I'm not sure that it's God. Maybe this is why more women than men convert to our synagogue. Synagogue is there. Now, lots of visitors wander through Capernaum. They come from faraway places boasting of Sepphoris, Tiberia, of the theaters and the stadiums and the pools there. Uh, we have our share of entertainment here in Capernaum. We have our food and our drink and our music. And if you stay long in the marketplace, you'll hear what I've heard. I hear the philosophers. I've mused with the Stoics as they bellow out, let reason tame the passions. I've seen Epicurean talk. Mostly, however, on the streets of Capernaum today, there's conversation about this Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth, they say, this man who had a kingdom and an action and, and a power and a rule. We listen here in Capernaum mostly out of curiosity. We, we know Jesus well. While they tell you Jesus of Nazareth, he really lived around here and wandered in and out of our villages, Cana, Chorazim, Magdala. We know Jesus of Nazareth. What we don't know is about this kingdom and power and rule that he talks about. You see, we know about kingdom and power. We know about rule and domination, and we know it from the Roman government. We understand very well about power. We understand because we're the first to lose our jobs, the first to lose our homes, the first to lose our food. What we want to know is the kingdom of Jesus. Can it do anything for the beggar who sits at the city gates? Can it do anything for the man covered with leprosy? Can it do anything for the aged woman? Can it do anything for someone like me, a nameless, faceless one? We listen out of curiosity. 
some people say his teachings are radical, a little subversive. And some people say, yeah, just a little too much Mediterranean sunshine, that Jesus. Listen, here's just a few. The men of this generation, they're like children in the marketplace. Well, that's, well, that's offensive. The men are like children, children who are imaginative and misbehaved. Got worse. Jesus said, become a child and enter the kingdom. Enter the kingdom and become a child. What does he mean, become a child? Everyone knows here children are the most terrorized. Children, the first to die. Children, the first to starve in war and, and famine. Children, it's, it's terrorizing to be a child in Palestine. What does he mean, become a child? Who would sign up to be a nobody? Jesus said, a homeowner sent his servant out into the marketplace to invite guests to a party. The servant said to the first friend, my master invites you to, to his party. The friend said, oh, please, you must excuse me. I must wait for some rent that is due. The second friend said, please, excuse me. I'm waiting to prepare a banquet for, for my friends who are marrying. The third friend said, please, excuse me. I must collect new rent from a merchant. The slave went back to his owner and said, master, all of your friends have asked to be excused from your party. The landowner said, then fine, go out into the streets and invite anyone you can find to come to my party. Invite them all to sit at our table. Is he crazy? Everybody's going to sit at the same table. Now we know about table fellowship, the peasants. Everyone has a table, and every table has the proper person. He really wants north, south, east, west to share the same table. He really wants slave and free, friend and stranger, male and female, Gentile, Jew, at the same table. He's going to feed us all the same food. How will we know if they've tithed the food? How will we know if they've followed the purity laws? He's going to give us, the peasants, the same extravagant wine he gives everyone else. Everyone sit at the same table. This one is a disaster. Jesus said, when you enter a home, heal the sick, eat their food, and the kingdom of God is announced. What is this kingdom? Food? Healing? Jesus said, love your enemies. Does he know how many enemies I have? Love the people who take my land from me. Love the people who take the food off my table. Love the man who rapes me or sells me into slavery. Love your enemies. Jesus says, the nobodies will become somebodies, and the somebodies will become nobodies. <laughs> For one day, I'd like to see an aristocrat become a peasant. This one I like. Jesus says, God counts the sparrows in the sky. God counts the hairs on your head. You are more important than sparrows. This 
of all of them is the most precious, for I have never been more important, the most important ever. You know, if it were just these teachings, I don't think we'd have anything to talk about today, but, but along with these teachings was this, this action plan, sort of this program in motion. For Jesus became to us this kingdom he encouraged us to be. And this is how he did it. He went to people he had no business talking to. In the middle of the day, he would speak with a woman, a Samaritan woman, a woman bent over doubled, a woman bleeding. He would touch a dead little girl in daylight. He would go to a man with dropsy, and there was another man with leprosy, and there was a man sitting by the pool, and a man who was blind. And on the Sabbath, Jesus would touch these people and heal them. And, and we said to ourselves, can he do that? Is that legal? The Pharisees knew it was not. You see, they would prefer the woman bent over double for 18 years, remain that way 18 years in one day, rather than to be healed on the Sabbath. And it didn't stop there. There were 5,000 he fed on a hillside with this little lunch from a boy that came from my village in Capernaum. He fed the 5,000 and he calmed the storm and, and he continued healing and casting out demons. And, and the more we watched Jesus, the more we realized, wait, it's, it's, it's the nameless, faceless people this kingdom seems to be coming to. It's us. And Jesus, unlike the Roman government, doesn't seem to have a monopoly or a control on this kingdom. In fact, he invites us to step into it with him, this kingdom of God. Could it really be? I will not forget the day when they came running from Jerusalem and the marketplace was empty that day. There were no shoppers here. They came running with this news that said Jesus from Capernaum, had been put to death on a Roman cross, and he died. They crucified him in Jerusalem, and he was dead. Now, to be sure, the Romans have all the power. Everyone knows that, and the Roman government doesn't let us forget it. The Romans have all the power. They abuse all that power, but they rarely waste it. So why put him to death? Why crucify him? If you're a philosopher or a teacher, you just send them out of the area. But to crucify him? And we begin to ask ourselves up here in Galilee, well, who was that Jesus? Was he dangerous? Was he a criminal? Was he divine? It came a few days later. Mary Magdalene and Salome and, and Mary the mother, they also had the same questions because they went to the empty tomb, the tomb that held no body, and they heard, he's risen, he's not here, and, and they didn't believe. And later then, he, he appeared to, to Mary Magdalene himself, and she didn't believe, and then to two people on the road, and, and they didn't believe. And then he, he came to the 11 who were gathered in a room, and, and they didn't believe either, and he said, but go preach the good news. The kingdom of God has come. And he's, he left. He isn't here. It's a hero. It's a, a savior. It's an anointed one. It, it, it's a rescuer of a different kind, this Jesus from Capernaum. You know what we found out? 
the invitation to the rest of us was, whether you believe it or not, pick up the cross and follow. I have no monopoly on this kingdom. You're absolutely right. Pick up the cross and follow because the resurrection, it's fearful for everyone. But Jesus asked, do you have the courage to step into it and move forward? Can you grab on to that? He's gone, and word came from another region now. Someone called the Apostle Paul. It is not I, but Christ who lives in me. Christ lives in me, and we realize Jesus is here, but he's not here. He, he's gone, but he's not gone. We look around, and we see the kingdom is in motion right here around us. We can touch it. We can feel it. For any time someone from the outside is pulled in, that's the kingdom. Anytime anyone is healed with my words, that's the kingdom. Anytime the lame can walk and the poor can have a job, that's the kingdom. Anytime a nameless one is restored in this community and, and has a home, that's the kingdom. And we realize Jesus is right. What he was to us, he would love us to be now in his absence. He is gone, but he's here. The kingdom is among us. Do I have the courage to step out and be in it? I have learned in this story, you can sit on the sidelines and you can watch and you can hear, Hosanna, God saves everyone else. Or you can step into the story and say, Hosanna, God saves everyone else and me too. This is my God. There are not too many places in between. I either sit on the outside and watch or in great resurrection faith I step in and become part of that kingdom. This is the kingdom where the Exodus people never return to slavery. This is the kingdom where the Exodus God cannot be domesticated by the Roman powers or anyone anywhere else. This is the kingdom of God that moves and lives among us. And by, by the way, I have a name now. I'm not nameless. I'm nameless no longer. My name is Sefi. You can call me Sefi. And welcome to God's kingdom. This is my 
pray with me? Father, we stand this morning before you, no longer nameless, no longer faceless, because you have called us your own. We are your children, Father, and this morning we say thank you. God, we pray that you will cause us to live as kingdom people. God, we pray that you'll stir up within us this courage to step out in boldness for you. God, we pray that you will infill us so fully with your spirit that wherever we go, whatever we say, God, it will be you. Jesus, it will be you living in us. This is our prayer. This is our story. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go in peace.